Tell me if we're on. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Welcome everybody to the Safina Society. Nothing but facts live stream. On a semi-cloudy, I would say, slightly overcast day uh, of Wednesday, the last Wednesday of the month of Safar. And the Prophet wasallam said that, La Safar. He has a hadith that says, La Safar. What does this hadith mean? Whenever somebody says something, you always got to look at the context uh, of, of what it's about. People, all throughout Islamic history, we have hadiths about this. We have uh, uh, texts, Islamic texts. They'll, they'll make a point. And you just don't understand why they're making the point. You got to ask about the context of that time. So the Arabs had a jahili habit, essentially. They had a bad habit. And that bad habit was that, not a bad habit, but a superstitious belief or, or an unfounded belief or a negative belief in which Safar was the month in which bad things happen and, and tribulation comes down in the month of Safar. Okay. All right. The Prophet ﷺ said, La Safar. And as a result of that, uh, many of the ulama used to call it dhafar. They started to call it dhafar, success. Okay. And uh, there is uh, a statement from ulama, some ulama said, that based upon mukashafat, and remember, when we talk about mukashafat, we are allowed to transmit them if they're coming from righteous scholars. You do not have to believe them, but you can't, but... And even if you do believe them, they're not at the level of Quran and Hadith. So just to understand the position of Ahl Sunnah regarding Karamat. Narrations for us are not all the same. Narrations for us have levels of certainty. Some narrations, we could just narrate them. You could believe it if you want. You don't have to believe it if you want. But it doesn't affect anything else, right? It doesn't affect it. There's no rulings based upon it. Okay? And I'm going to talk more about that in a second because there's a long back and forth with the brother on the Khidr. And Khawarij video. All right, so what did uh, the ulama say? They said, on the last Wednesday of Safar, Bala comes, is, uh, is decided for the rest of the year. Just like they say that in the Nisf al-Sha'ban, that the Aqdar are decided for the rest of the year. So in the, in the last Wednesday of Safar, it is said that the Bala descends down and is ready for distribution over the year. Bala means essentially bad things happening. Allah alam, if that's the truth or not. Uh, but what did the ulama do? They said, well, we're going to spend that day in dua and dhikr, of protection. Well, is it, do we, are we losing anything? No. So they have dhikr gatherings for that, dua and protection. What else do they do? They actually do things that are merry and, 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 and light. Why? Because to dispel this superstition, to dispel this, this, we don't believe in having superstitious beliefs that lead to sadness. This is not accepted for, from the principles of our sharia. So, so after they spend from asr time, they do some adhkar for protection. Well, you could do protection. What do you have to lose? It's almost like somebody saying, let's say you lock the door every day. You, 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 you do the bolt on your door. You put the blinds down. Someone says to you, hey, I don't know what's going on, but some people say that there's some burglars walking around. All right, well, I don't know if they are or not. I'll put the chain up today. We can do dua for protection any day, but if somebody gives us a narration, no matter how weak, what am I losing to add an extra chain, to put, a, put the chain up? Sometimes you don't put the chain on, you just put the bolt. 
That's all it is, right? So that's their position on that. Simultaneously, we don't believe in tisha'um, in negative uh, sadness and all that. So they would do things that are light and things that are, um, you know, happy to cheer everyone up. We don't have this sadness uh, as a thing here. Okay, so that's uh, some of the things Automat did. Now, I want to piggyback on that to another topic, similar topic. Recently, we had a clip out, and we said in the live stream, about the Khidr, and that some people said, based upon Mukashafat as well, that they see that Khidr lives on. We, we can accept that if you want, if you trust the people who say that. Some, some hold that Imam Nawi himself used to meet Khidr every other year at, at Masjid Al-Aqsa and, uh, in the last 10 days of Ramadan. But it's things that it's mutadawal amongst the righteous and pious ulama. They it's everywhere in the books. You can't say it's just nothing. Are they all lying? They came on this subject and started lying. It's not plausible. So we can accept that. Not is it aqidah? No, it's it's rationally possible. But the tr- nature of the transmission is that it's going to be put on speculative grounds. I also said in the Khariji video, Khawarij video, and I wish the brother, I don't know who commented on, on YouTube, but he, had, he, 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 he confused between these two things. I also said in the, in the video that there is a hadith of the Prophet وسلم, that the sun prostrates. We have to make ta'weel of that if from the zahir. Yes, the sun has its own form of prostration, but it is not, it's not like ours, where the top goes to the bottom, because a, a, a sphere won't have that, right? So we are accepting the hadith. Okay, but we have to make ta'wil. When you make ta'wil, you're not decreasing in belief in it. So epistemologically, a narration, a sound narration from a prophet is always going to be higher epistemologically in our certainty, in our belief than a mukashifa from a scholar. You understand that's an important point. Even when, and, and ta'wil is something totally different. Ta'wil is done regardless of the level of strength of the narration. Quran itself, the highest level of transmission, the highest epistemic level, okay? You must believe in it. But if there is, if it, there is an internal contradiction with the zahir, with the external meaning, the literal meaning, then you must go to the secondary meaning. That's what ta'weed is, okay? That's what interpretation is. Interpretation does not mean a downgrade of our belief in it. That's the mistake they're constantly making. And I hope Othman can cut this clip. The mistake that some people constantly make is they imagine just because you're interpreting something means you're not accepting it. And yet you go and accept the mukashafat of awliya as they are. Yes, we, we can take it as it is, but it's much lower on the level of certainty. And that's a big difference that interpretation is one thing. Okay. Accepting something on its dhahir is one thing. And the level of certainty we grant the thing is another thing. So I can take on its face value the 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 uh, karama of someone meeting khidr, for example. All right? But where is it at the level of belief? It will never enter aqidah book, for example. In contrast, the mutashabih verses, mutashabih ahadith do enter the aqidah book. You must accept it, but how do you accept it? You must accept it and understand it in a way that does not contradict other verses of the book, right? Nor does it contradict 
does it uh, uh, affirm belief in opposites? Okay? Because that is also a principle of the Quran. Does not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say, if this was from other than Allah, you would have found much contradiction in it? So if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells you he's the creator of all things, and then an ayah comes that makes it seem that he is dwelling within the creation, okay? Then the the external, the apparent understanding of that is not the correct understanding. So we are believing in the ayah, but we're understanding it properly. So there's a big difference there between ta'wil and between i'tiqad. And a matter, uh, again, I repeat it again, a matter may not require ta'wil, but its level of i'tiqad is down because it's, it's just a, a, cash, a karama, a claim from a, 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 a righteous scholar. In contrast, something may be required to believe it as a Muslim, and you have to accept it as a Muslim, and it requires either tafweed or ta'wil. Tafweed says, well, it's definitely not the outward meaning, but we're going to not interpret it. Ta'weed is, it's not the outward meaning, and we can give it an interpretation. And according to Sheikh Yusuf bin Sadiq, even the Hanabla, they just, they accept ta'weed, but of the general meaning of the verse, not the word. They don't make ta'weed of a word. They don't say this word here means this. They say the general meaning of the verses. Why is this important? It is, so, I can't stress for you, in life, in all matters, it's extremely important to understand epistemic levels of, of statements okay and it's extremely important to understand the requirement necessity and of internal consistency and cohesion of all statements when I have a single document that's any document okay any document within that document there will be statements that are uh, uh, st- statements that may seem to contradict other statements within the document. That is impossible. Okay. In a legal document, for example, when they check, it's got to be internally consistent. Can't, on one hand, say this is an at-will agreement, and second, will it's a guaranteed contract. No. Like, it's it got to be internally consistent. And different claims, different statements, have different weights. All right. They have different weight. Claims of a neighbor says, Hey, uh, check it out. I'm, I don't know. Some people saying that there is a robber walking around. That's one level. The, the New, North Brunswick police sends out a text message alerting everyone to a thief. Are they the same? No way. One, that's their profession. They went through many people before they sent that text out. The other person, it's hearsay, right? I can act upon hearsay. I'm not going to change my massive, make a massive change of behavior on hearsay. But what what's wrong with just putting up the chain, right? What's wrong with putting up the chain? Hey, Abid, if there is a term that I use, tell me what it is that uh, that you don't understand. Okay. Did did I Ali? Did I what? Huh? Tough weed. Oh, ta'wil, I meant interpretation. It's to go for the second, secondary meaning of a word. Okay? The secondary meaning of a word rather than the primary. And the rules of ta'wil in Islam, this is very important to, to put parameters too. Because the, 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 a lot of fluffy groups, when they just don't want to do something, they say, oh, it's interpretation. No, it's up for interpretation. No, interpretation has rules. We have to have parameters. Otherwise, we, we have chaos. 
the parameters are you you can go down to, you can uh, uh, understand a word as having a meaning if the Arabs ever used it at that time with that meaning okay if the Arabs never used it at that meaning with that meaning ever then it it's not fair game okay so that's extremely important un, uh, to understand that even interpretation for us has limits, has parameters, okay? And who can do it also has parameters and limits, okay? So you all understand uh, this important point. I'm going to take, I'm actually going to take questions from anybody right now on this important point because it's, it's that important and, it's, and, and don't confuse this. Do not confuse this with the concept of um, hashing out old debates and fighting about things that were debates centuries ago. No, this is the methodology of understanding. All right. Abed Niaz is asking, what is ta'weed and tafweed? Tafweed is when there seems to be an internal contradiction between two texts. I, all I can say is that the text that is posing the contradiction all right, is not what the outward literal meaning would be. It's, I definitely know it's not that, but I don't, I can't say what it is. I can't affirm what it is. I can deny what it's not. That's tough weed. Tough weed is to go one step further. I'm denying what it's not, and I'm affirming to you what it is. For example, this happens all the time, right? Happens all the time. Um, two people are talking, and it seems to me that that someone is offending me, right? He said something that to me, right, would seem offensive. So I complain, you know, to somebody else. That other person says, listen, I don't know what he meant, but I guarantee you he didn't try to offend you, right? Because I know him. I know his other things he said about you. It's, that's an ex example. Like, I definitely know it's not this, but I can't tell you what it means. But I know for sure it's not this. Why do we know that for sure? Because other times he spoke about you, he said good things. So I definitely know he doesn't dislike you. Likewise in the Quran, we definitely know about Allah certain things that are not true about Allah, that are inconceivable for Allah. It contradicts what he says about himself. Okay? So that's tough weed. Tell weed is to go one step further and say, no, no, I know exactly what it means. It means this, this, that, or the other. This live stream is a Kalami live stream has always been. We harp and we focus on everybody understanding the fundamentals of interpretation and understanding these issues that could cause doubts in people's minds. There are diseases in people's minds. And I'm telling you, people go on living with these diseases for a long time. And sometimes they, they, their iman survives just because they didn't look into it, Right. But at the moment they start thinking about it, it could shake things up. This happens all the time in life, like where you got situations where um, you got situations where there are really bad things happening in a relationship. But you're a, ha a happy-go-lucky attitude and you just don't think about it. But somebody who did think would think about it, they may have a divorce, Right. Uh, the way those timestamps that may read as 15 seconds, by the way. So you need, yeah, probably ask. Uh. All right. So that's item number one. 
What is item number two today? Okay. Item number two today is it's time again to send some youth off to Umrah. All right. Um, Prince Matthew is asking, how's the goat? The goat has, is no longer in existence, my friend. He must have missed that episode where the goat is gone. No longer in existence. Let's go now to, hey, do you, could you put the picture up? In, uh, uh, I sent it up. You know how to put a picture up? Hey, could, hey guys, uh, Omar Abbasi, our man, he's sick. He's in the hospital today. IDC is covering. See that picture, Omra for Youth, right there? Up, up. Yeah, that one right there. Could you download that? And do you know how to put a picture up? Okay, try. But Omra for Youth, all right? We are back up and running for Omra for Youth. How are we... Uh, what, what is our, our, our thing here? It's, it's young people who want to make Omra, okay? We want to send youth to Omra, okay? And what we do is we gather money every year. And we send the young, some young people to Omrah. Last year we sent three. This year we're going to send, uh, the, the group will have 25 youth in it. We're going to send off 10 or we're going to cut the price for all 25. Either one, same, same difference essentially. Okay, so you're going to go to Launch Good. This is, this is where, uh, this is something very good, a good deed. If you want to do a good deed, you are going to go to launchgood.com slash Umrah for youth. I just put the link up in the comment section. And in Instagram, again, I'm going to say it again. Okay. Uh, now, hold on. Put, bring it down and bring me over. That's how you do it. Yeah. Actually, make it a whole, a whole full screen if you want. Yeah, because it's the picture small. Make it a whole full screen. You, yeah, you can cover me. Yeah, there you go. That's perfect. Center it now. No, actually, you're, the bottom's cut off. A little smaller. There you go. Center it and, 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 and fade into that. Look at this picture. There is the picture from last year. Omra for Youth. And that's a whole bunch of us. And by the time we made the, the, the trip, uh, the Omra itself, this, that picture must have been at like 3 a.m. Here we are with all these guys. Last uh, and they they went nuts about me shaving my head. They said you have to shave your head, and when you do, I was just gonna shorten, right? And this year I'm gonna shorten. But I said fine, I'll shave my head. They went nuts. They were so happy, and there it is. That's the before and the after, right there. You can see the before and after, and that is upstairs in that mall that has the KFC in it, right? We sh we all shaved our heads. It took about thirty minutes for them everyone to get their head shaved. And then, you know, we did. We put tables together. And you know what that means. Got the food out. It must have been like 3 a.m. And we had all sorts of food out at the table. And these Shabab never had anything like this. I think 20 of them were from high school. Right? And then we always have a sprinkling of college. Because you see Alian. You see Yusuf Chuck. You see Harun. You see Habib there. Okay? And the rest are high schoolers. And you see me in the middle there. All right, and that's me all the way at the bottom there, okay? So I think it was, it, it's an amazing trip. All right, we could, we could take that picture off now. And we really need, now why is it just men? No, only the men shave their head, that's it. But we actually sent two girls and one boy on a full uh, ride there. 
but it was half men and half women, of course. And this year it's going to be about 12 to 13, 12 of one, 13 of the other. Okay. So, um, yeah, that was a before and after. So that was us before we shaved our head and after we shaved our head. So, uh, turquoise, you just turned in. We want to send in 10 youth this year or cut the price for a whole bunch of youth, but we need 25 K to do this. And this time around 10% of everything that we're getting. Okay. Is going to go to an endowment. And eventually we're going to have like, let's say an apartment, all the rent goes to send youth to Umrah. And then donations will go to the apartment. Doesn't that make more sense? But to get the thing up and running, we need to use it directly. So it really would be a great, good deed to put in 10 bucks, 15 bucks, 20 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks. All right, whatever it is, 1000 bucks, we need to hit that 25K. Okay, inshallah ta'ala. We're going to hit 25K to send all these youth up uh, over to Umrah. All right, so what what do we look for? Um, um, we are looking for youth mainly who cannot afford ever to go to Umrah. And we want them to go during high school so that when they go to college, they have a strong experience, not just knowledge, experience with the deen, with the ummah too. You realize like you're in an ummah that's massive. Nothing compares. Absolutely nothing compares. And I'm telling you, I saw kids there who went in with the earbuds the whole trip, uh, the whole way there. Bus, we took a bus to, the, to JFK. From JFK, we went to the Emirates. From the Emirates, we went to Medina. Okay. The whole trip, earbuds, hood, not talking to anybody. Phone the whole time. And I'm like, man, the Shabab are in a darkness. Some Shabab are in a darkness, honestly, depressed. We get there, but I think to myself, you know, there's a reason this person signed up for Umrah. So, there is something deep down, right? But it just hasn't come up yet. There was one specific youth who was like that. I'm telling you, we went to Medina. In the four days in Medina, they slowly came out of their shell a little bit. When we went to Mecca, it was as if this person was acid washed. And this person spent, I'm not even kidding you, after the tawaf of Umrah, then you go and you went wait around the Zamzam area, or you pray behind the maqam of Ibrahim Turakas. Then you go to the Zamzam area, where you used to be, then you go to Safa. So we're waiting. I'm waiting for the Shabbat. The, 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 this one youth who just the hood and the earbuds the whole time and the cell phone, not even talk to other youth. He was in sedges, I'm not kidding you, for 20 minutes. And that young man was literally like that. Something went on. And I was so tired of waiting that I said to another college kid i say come and uh you know swap out with me i'm i'm tired of standing here i want to go sit down right and i want to say you'll sit on the steps with the other guys you you wait for him but i was so i did not expect that kind of impact for the umrah to have on people you go to public high school you got a cell phone the amount of gunk that ends up in the heart okay 
and the speed, the power by which Umrah and Ibadah in the Haram, literally feet away from the Kaaba, there is such a nur there, there is such a power that literally like a laser closes, uh, uh, removes that stuff. Some people are going to argue, ah, they're going to come back and they're going to get sins any, again anyway. Yeah, but they've experienced purity. When they're there, they had an experience. They now know the difference. And they could fight off that stuff. So that's why Tahir is saying, well, why well, the, let the parents take care of the kids. We should take care of orphans and widows. Well, not all parents are capable of, um, of sending their kids to Umrah. High schoolers, we want to send them to Umrah. So I'm going to put it again here. It's launchgood.com slash Umrah for youth. All right. And it's an extremely, extremely important um, part of our life and our dawah. Everybody, everybody does a uh, Umrah program, right? So how would we make our Umrah program unique? All right. We want to make our program unique by focusing on uh, 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 focusing on the high schoolers. Is is the link not working? Launchgood.com slash Umrah with no A, uh, no H, I mean, Umrah for youth. Let number four digit Y-O-U-T-H. Let's click, click enter. All right. We have 11 supporters and a very weak turnout. So far, $555, that's a very weak turnout. We need to hit 25K in order to cut and make it affordable for every, everybody. Uh, and even some people may go do the whole thing, right? So um, that's the concept. Uh, best thing to do is ask the Saudi regime to bring the cost down for everybody. No, I mean, okay, you're talking to a wall if you do that. It's not just them, it's the airlines, it's the hotels, it's not the Saudi regime. I knew two girls who grew up in a very liberal, non-practicing Muslim family. They ended up going to Umrah with their rich grandparents because they thought it was another vacation. They came back as different people, says Rose Gold. Okay? And this is extremely important. Uh, you know, these, I'm telling you, I don't understand any, I don't see anything that impacts youth more than, more than this. More than going to Umrah. All right. So spread it to your friends. All right. Tell your friends, tell your parents, tell your wife, tell your kids, and uh, help us get to this, you know, um, this goal of ours. All right. Of getting up to 25K. All right. Share it on your multiple times on your social media. All right. Uh, Tahira, why do people make money from religion? Because the world requires money, right? The world requires money. No one's going to, no airline is going to fly you over for free, right? No hotel is going to feed you for free and, and, and give you a roof for free, right? It's just, that's how simple it is. Uh, a masjid, why does a masjid need for money? Who's paying for the lights? Who's paying for the water? What religion should be free? Fardain. The Fardain. If something is a Fardain, you have to give it for free. So, hey, it's Fardain for me to learn how to pray. I have to teach, I can't charge you how to learn how to pray. 
Okay. All right, sit with me and read the whole Quran. Listen to me and help me read the whole Quran. Do I have to do that? Do you have to? No, it's not fardain. I can charge you for that. That's in our fiqh, right? Uh, B, lead the, the people in tarawih. Lead the people in tarawih. That means I can't go to work tomorrow morning, right? Or you got to pay me for Ramadan. Do I have to do that? No, I don't have to do that. I don't have to lead anyone, all right? To do uh, to uh, uh, in Tarawih. So if it's not Fardain, then you can charge for it. Okay. Um, these prices, why are they the way they are? They're the way they are because there's there's, um, you know that these Saudis, if they cared, they could send every Muslim youth for a Umrah. They could cover that for the salary that they give one soccer player that they hire. They're, they're bringing these one, they're bringing one soccer player. Okay. And they're paying them millions upon millions, hundreds and, 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 and maybe billions. What they could have done with that, but they don't care. They just don't care. That's that where they are. They just, and I, I don't want to get banned from Amrah. So may Allah uh, guide us and them. Okay. It would seem to us that they do not care. Okay. Fardain knowledge is essentially something that um, if someone asks you, you got to give it to them. Okay. Next on our agenda, we're going to keep going back to launch good. We want to try to hit our goal sooner than later. Let's go now to the Moroccan government. Okay. And sorry, the Moroccan earthquake. All right, what a sad tragedy! The Moroccan earthquake. Let's get a picture of the Moroccan earthquake up when you get a chance. Aid, relief, or whatever. Public criticism has mounted over the pace and efficiency of Morocco's earthquake response. When was the last time Morocco had an earthquake? And do they have a team on standby? Do they really have a plan for this? Because you know you'd need a plan to to really be quick. And when something is very rare, all right, then chances are, and you're not very wealthy government, you're not going to be, um, you know, having a plan that's uh, a team that's ready to go. Unlike California, which is on the Pacific Ring of Fire, California, Indonesia, these places, they, they know the earthquakes are coming. Turkey, when I was there last time, they did a drill. There was a drill. The entire city had a... And different speakers all over the place had, uh, you know, it was like a siren. And then a voice speaking in Turkish, you know, do this, do that. Then the voice goes to different languages. It goes to English, right? So public criticism. Is there ever an earthquake, a, a disaster response where anyone's happy with the, with the response? Never. Okay. They say authorities... They defend themselves. We address the disaster and we're dedicated our efforts right away. The powerful quake struck the high Atlas Mountains just outside the major city of Marrakesh on Friday. Killed more than 2,800 people. Remember, the uh, Turkey earthquake was 10 times the size of the Moroccan earthquake. 30,000 people died. This is around 2,800, 3,000 people. Because, you know, these figures are always going up. They criticized King Muhammad, Amir al-Mu'mineen, 
right? Uh, waited hours before making his first public statement on the disaster, and he has made few since. He just seems to be as a shy king. His dad was out there. His dad was was no mess around. Okay, but this is Muhammad al Khamis, right? Am I right about that? No, what he said. No, Muhammad is sadist. Muhammad al Khamis. The, the his dad, his dad was all over the place. He was, a, he was I, I would say he was a strong king. I can never say good or bad, right? Because someone say, oh, he oppressed my grandfather. You can't say good or bad. He also there's a lot of stuff about his taxation which was unlawful, and by Sharia, okay. Like he taxed people to build a mosque, right? Uh, that that legacy mosque that he had. Yeah, there, that's good right there. No, left. Yeah, that that one. Yeah, uh, that legacy so-called legacy mosque, the Masjid Muhammad Khamis. It was built on taxes, and it's half on water, and it's so gorgeous, and all that stuff. Um, but people say that it was oppressive the way he collected the money. Uh, their kings are going to do bad things, but we can say he was a strong king. Okay, and you want a strong king. And the, one of the reasons kings, the benefit of kings is that they it, they believe it's their country. When they believe it's their country, they take pride in its in, in the country itself. And I haven't been to Morocco for over 25 years, so I can't tell you, um, you know, the status, right? It's actually been exactly 25 years last summer. So I can't tell you what any much about the country itself. But I could tell you, I know that he was a strong king. In hard-hit villages visited by reporters from the New York Times, there was no sign of government rescue or aid operations, though some help had begun to arrive by Monday morning. It was a government spokesman, Mustafa Betas, who pushed back against the criticism and a, uh, of the aid effort in a video posted on social media. Okay. From the first second this devastating earthquake occurred... His Royal Majesty, all civil mil and military authorities and medical staff have worked on the swift and effective intervention, of course. I mean, are we really going to get into, you know, who did what? Yeah, lower it down a little bit. Yeah, it should be lowered. Yeah, and it's sort of shrink it a little bit. So it's not blocking. IDC on his debut behind the desk. That's perfect. Okay, IDC on his debut behind the desk. You see there... The country of Morocco, and it's um, where the, exactly the the earthquake hit. In Morocco, power is concentrated in the king's hands, and when it comes to all important matters of the state, such as the current crisis, it is the royal palace that calls the shots. See, the thing is with the monarchy, it's a 50-50, right? If he's a good king, things are going to be real good. If he's an incompetent king, it's going to be really hard to make a change. Just have sub until he passed away. This leaves other government institutions paralyzed, waiting for the king to take the lead on the big questions. Help was extremely late, says a Moroccan economist. Does this guy want to get sent to jail? The overwhelming majority of victims have had nothing to eat and some nothing to drink for 48 hours or more, including, including in areas accessible by roads that are still in good condition. Okay. Clearly waiting for the king to give his instructions from on high. Had a lot to do with this, he says. Fear of overshadowing the king keeps people from taking full action until he shows up. Yeah, it's not good. Which is expected, but you never know what will happen, he said. They fear of being snubbed for any initiative, all right, in the future. Okay. 
He says that he def- one uh, Samira uh, Sitel, she defended the king. And she is former head of the news division at the state-run television channel 2M. Defended the king saying over the weekend that some leaders run their countries over Twitter and others differently. The kingdom's leadership has traditionally been cautious about communication and is wary of conveying any message that might call its competence into question. Since the earthquake struck, state media have gone heavy on images showing uh, military involvement. All right, so the highly sensitive issue in the country right now is poverty. Some of the areas heaviestly hit were the impoverished areas. Moroccan officials prefer the world to see the country's modern elements, such as its airport, high-speed trains, and glittery tourist resorts. All right. This is because national pride and to attract tourism. Millions every year descend. Whenever a country retires from the world, its economy is based on tourism. That means it's our glory is in the past. Come look at our past, what our forefathers did. All right. That's, that's always when a country has basically been sent out to pasture. I don't know if the British know this saying. When you send something, when you send an animal out to pasture, that means Khalas is done serving, it's done producing children, it's done producing uh, milk, all that, and it's not even worth slaughtering. So you just put it out to pasture. Let let the animal just graze until it dies. So when a nation is out to pasture now, it no longer invents anything. It, no one goes there for anything except to see its past. Okay? And that's like most of the countries in the Eastern world. The, the, the good times came and they went. And now there's nothing to see except the past relics. Okay? So that's why they care so much about tourism. If a country's economy number one part of their economy is tourism, Leave. don't live there. You can visit it, but don't live there. Some Moroccans said that the lack of communication around the earthquake reminded them of the pandemic when the authorities were similarly frugal about disseminating information. On the domestic front, the king is wary of unrest and largely does not tolerate criticism or dissent. During the Arab Spring, okay, the king reacted swiftly to tamp down any rumblings of discontent. He amended the constitution, giving more power to the elected prime minister and took other steps to pacify the population. More recently, there were ripples of unrest in the northern reef of Morocco. Authorities, tol- authorities tolerated protests for a few months, and then they cracked down harshly. Funny, these uh, very democratic nations, right? Not all... You know, reactions from the people should be just accepted. And the people are not the drivers of the nation. They're not the drivers, right? They're the ones being served, yes. But ultimately, by the Sharia, neither is the king nor the people, or the ruler nor the people, um, serving one another. Both are serving Allah Ta'ala as in the capacity that he commanded them to, right? In any event, that's basically uh, this. This uh, Mister Abdel Mu'min, the economist, he said the arrogance with which Morocco has disdained offers of aid from a hundred countries, aiding that a positive and rapid response would have saved lives. 
He's really upset, this guy. Do you want to do you want to uh go back to Morocco? Are they going to All right, let's read another. Earthquake puts Morocco's elusive king in the spotlight. He's elusive. He doesn't like to be in in the public. The other one, King Mohammed al-Khamis, I always see his, him in the uh, you know, in media and everything. He was at the he would go to the durus the, the the classes giving in Ramadan and he would actually give classes himself. Right? He would give those speeches, he would attend, he was everywhere. All right. Now the number is up to two thousand nine hundred. Uh he was in France, he was in Paris, and he spends a great deal of his time in Paris. But it took him most of a day to return to his country and make a public statement. A very short communique. Later on, it showed him presiding over a cabinet meeting, but there was no sound, no audio. He visited a hospital on Tuesday, and he donated some of his blood, but his visibility has been very low, and he's been very silent, and the government's response to the earthquake have been criticized. Look, if you got a king, given how bad kings can be, okay, if your king's flaw is that he's, he's passive, that's probably one of the lesser bad flaws. Like, flaws could be far worse, right? So it's not saying that it's a just sweep it under the rug, okay? But uh, if he's very passive like this, it's frustrating, but it could be a lot worse. Like, of all the flaws of a king, it's not so terrible. All right, Moroccan officials argue, no, 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 we've been working from the start. He's too busy to come out and give statements. That's why. This king is now 60. And he's the richest person in Morocco, most powerful person in Morocco, of course. He's constitutionally the head of the armed forces and he is the head of Islam. He is Amir al-Mu'minin, officially, in Morocco. Okay. As head of state, he oversees a constitutional monarchy. Okay. A, it's a managed semi-democracy with real power exercised by advisors and ministers dominated by his high school friends. But his authorization for action is vital. All of this we're reading in the spirit of knowing what our, what's happening in our ummah. Okay? Uh, not, we're not here out there to bash anybody, but just to have an idea what's happening in our ummah. All right? Can you go to the New York Times, type in New York Times, King Morocco, and, and put some of those pictures up there so people can see their King of Morocco. And he's described by Moroccans close to the government as harder to reach. All right. He's harder to reach as time goes on. But he's becoming close to a German-born Moroccan mixed martial arts fighter, Abu Bakr, Abu Azzaytayr, Abu Azzatar whom the king met around the time of his divorce in 2018. What is this? Is like Brady and Alex Guerrero? Yeah, we could put that one up. Abu Zatar is seen by some as driving a wedge between the king and his advisors. So now the king is, is, is keeping the company of a mixed martial arts guy. Mystery surrounds the royal palace and life there. And the king and the state of his health. He he went through a divorce. Never seen a king go through a divorce before. Very strange, you know. Uh, but 
happens, I guess. Courtiers and family members compete for his affection and attention. The king has had a number of health issues, irregular heart rate, pneumonia. But there's no official information about his health. Rumors spread around, right, by those whose personal and political interests in Morocco, where media is tightly controlled and where the king, who has never given a news conference or a TV interview, has not given any unscripted interview for years. Morocco is considered a success story in North Africa. Comparatively open, stable, attractive to industry, very attractive to tourists, reliable partner to the U.S., full cooperation with counterterrorism. And in 2020, it recognized Israel. Okay, Many people have protested Morocco's recognition of Israel. Uh, Abu Bakr Abu Zatar uh, of Morocco, he fought in UFC, right? As of 2021, he was fighting in the UFC. He's now very close to the king of Morocco. Crucially, interesting, that's a person who's going to end up running a country. Uh, crucially, the, the king managed to ride the waves of the disruptive Arab Spring a decade ago better than all of his neighbors. In part through domestic and political changes that had a more modern democratic tone. And he and his government have cracked down hard on any radical Islamist politics, terrorism, after the bomb attacks of 2003. All right. But you can't talk about the king. All right. And the palace life is opaque and very hard to read what's happening. And again, the Moroccan economist Fuad Abdel Mu'mini, right, going on again, bashing the king. This guy living in France, how's he doing this? Right? Talking about the king like this. I'm not saying that he shouldn't, what he's saying is not true. I'm saying that usually they get cracked down upon. All right. Last earthquake was 2004, 600 people died. Abdel Mu'mini is going on, and he says it seems that all the king's entourage is very, very unhappy with the time, the amount of time he spends with Azatar, the MMA fighter, and their behavior towards society and elites, and the image this creates around the king and the state is not good. They have business ventures, and it's all on their social media, and their brothers, the Zatars, are brothers. They display a closeness to the king, whom they sometimes accompany on trips. This stirs fear and resentment within the court. What is clear is that the king likes the Zatar brothers a lot, and everyone else is unhappy about it. They all agree we have to be all united against Abu Zaytari. Morocco is a conservative society, and the monarchy is held in great respect, despite the wealth the elites have and the poverty of the masses. See, it's not, uh, said Abu Bakr Jamai, a Moroccan prize-winning publisher of newspapers. And then he went into exile in 2007 after a defamation charge was brought against him. The, live, the lives of the king, his entourage, his son, Muri Hassan, uh, he's 20 years old, are surrounded by official silence. We really don't know what's going on, says Jamir. We've never seen him in a situation where he had to answer questions, let alone hard questions. So he's, some, he's always reading from a paper. He criticizes him. Listen, you got a king who does not want to be in the spotlight. He's pretty passive. I'm telling you, in a world where no one's happy about anything, this is the least of bad. If you want to call this bad, we're not going to say it's good. You want a good king, a strong king, an active king, right? But if you're going to say, and we're going to 
agree, it's not good what they're saying. It's the least of not good, right? When you have this passive type of king. Open criticism of the king is rare. Penalties are severe. Political opposition has been weakened or marginalized. But the king is generally revered, right? People tend to like their king. With most criticism aimed instead at the government, not the king. That's good because he brings the hearts of everyone together. Moroccans who have left the country feel freer to speak out. At the same time, the level of media freedom in Morocco is very low. 144th in the world, according to the World Press Freedom Index. Just last month, the Moroccan blogger Saeed Boukayoud, 48, was sentenced to five years in jail for a Facebook post denouncing normalization with Israel in a way that could be interpreted as criticism of the king, said his lawyer Hassan al-Sunni. Yeah, you're going to have these autocrats doing that all the time. Unlike the king's father, Hassan al-Tani. Oh, so the king's father was not Muhammad al-Khamis, it was Hassan al-Tani. Sorry, I didn't know my... Not well read on my Moroccan kings. Who was author... Uh, he was an authoritarian. See, I actually turned out to be right about him. He said he was an authoritarian, but was very strong. Okay? And always had advisors. His son now lives in a bubble. He enriches himself and he enriches his courtiers and nobody ever hears anything about them. So that's not good, nice, but... Okay. The king, unlike his father, engaged deeply in private enterprise. And whenever there's a company that goes well, he gets involved with that company. He controls the, the banks, insurances, energy, telecom companies. He's, he's into business. Where his father was not really like that. By 2006, Mr. Abdel Mu'mini said companies controlled by the monarchy represent some 70% of the capitalization of the Moroccan stock exchange. That is absurd. That's absurd. That's absurd. Okay. What troubles Mr. Jama'i the most is what he considers the underdevelopment of our institutions and the misallocations of the country's resources to the deficit of the poor. Don't be fooled by the modernity of the airport and the roads. The earthquake shows the poverty of many people. Social welfare and health care are in tatters. Muhammad VI, Muhammad Sadis, this Muhammad VI, inherited the throne in 1999. In a rare interview a year later for Time for a Time magazine cover, he described himself as a reformer who wanted to tackle poverty, misery, illiteracy. But whatever I do will never be good enough for Morocco. Ruling with many men, he chose from his high school class. The king has made serious and important changes in religiously conservative Morocco. So listen, the part of the program today, if you're just tuning in, is affairs of the Ummah. So you could have a general education on what's happening out there in our Ummah. Okay? He released a number of political prisoners, and after great domestic controversy, he changed family law, raising the age of marriage from uh, to 18 after it was 15, Though local judges sometimes accuse of corruptions are allowed to make exceptions. The law advanced gender equality, giving women the right to ask for a divorce. Well, they always have a right to ask for a divorce. And first wives, the right to refuse should their husband want to marry a second wife. Well, that's in Madiki Fiqh. It's not that they have a right to refuse. They could put it in the contract that if you marry a second wife, then this marriage is automatically dissolved. And if the man agrees to it, then it's part of the marriage now. She can't forbid him from marrying a second wife, you can't make haram what Allah has made halal. But you can not be part of it. So 
you can do it. I can't stop you from doing it. But the moment you do do it, this marriage is, 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 is ended. You effectively divorce me by doing that. If he agrees to it, it's part of the contract. It also made divorce a legal procedure, eliminating the tradition of a husband divorcing a wife simply by handing her a letter. Okay. That's probably, you know, debatable if that's valid by Shadir or not. Polygamy remains legal if the first wife agrees. Homosexual, uh, homosexuality and sex outside of marriage are illegal. The king also managed the popular anger of the Arab Spring, which overturned governments in Tunisia and, and Egypt by modifying the constitution, allowing for an Islamic party to govern after winning elections. But there have been protests, 2011, 2016, 2017, and the government cracked down on them. Okay, And they cracked down hard on the media. And the urban and youth unemployment is very high. Okay. Because, you know, I'm not a fan of these university professors in political science that just all they do is incessantly whine about everything with no pragmatism, no practicality. I mean, I, do, I guess there has to be, you know, some criticism, but it just seems they're so predictable. They are just never happy with anything. That's the problem with these guys. All right. The Constitution modified in 2011 after the Arab Spring revolts gave more power to Parliament, blah, blah, blah. It's full of loopholes. See? Never happy. I mean, at some point, you just... I'm, I'm more of a pragmatist, right? If you're living under Saddam Hussein, there's no point in whining and complain about Saddam Hussein. You know, find a way to make things slightly less worse, less bad, rather than whining about all right um you know whining about uh everything incessantly we know it's bad it's obviously bad in a video on social media from the first seconds this devastation earthquake occurred we have been you know all hands on deck blah 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 so that's a, that's um on the the kink of morocco Listen, Moroccan uh, intelligence, just read the New York Times. I'm not saying anything. See, I want to go to these countries, to be honest with you. <laughs> I'm not into being put on lists. Next subject matter. Another very, very sad situation is happening in the neighboring country of Libya or as they pronounce it Libya okay let's go now to the news of Libya and and the floods and now the number has surpassed the calamity in Morocco and has reached 6,000 deaths what happened exactly in Libya okay so many people don't know what happened in Libya in Libya there well we're going to read it here Let's just read it. Essentially, there were dams blocking rivers. And there's a point in Libya where what's a delta point. A delta point is when various rivers all meet, cross paths. And those cities there are protected by dams. The dams broke. 
and the cities were just the homes everything was just spilt out into, into the mediterranean sea so let's read it exactly so that you can be aware now you can go now and get libya flooding images out there for us now the initial floods in northeastern libya after torrential rain this past weekend were bad enough but the worst damage was not a result of the floods it has instead come from the subsequent bursting of two dams just like what happened in new orleans with hurricane katrina the the hurricane see if there's a map with the dams to show the dam damage like what exactly happened where were the dams the dams burst along or a, a, a like two burst dams burst and so same thing with hurricane katrina in new orleans that's a good one right there yeah in new orleans they had the hurricane that wasn't the problem the hurricane destroyed the dam that was blocking the water from entering in on the cities and that's what really was the problem the water that those dams had been holding back washed entire neighborhoods into the mediterranean sea tall buildings collapsed trapping residents under the rubble at least 5200 people have died by the way we are raising money for a small village in morocco that's going to go straight to them. When you get a moment, uh, after you put this picture up, Ali C, yeah. what I sent you, in, uh, what I sent you, stick that PayPal link up there. Okay? This is a trusted source that, that f- the funds will go directly to, uh, to, to the relief of that neighborhood. Okay? What's the chain of events? First, a major storm. But what did the storm do? collapsed the infrastructure that was blocking water okay a lot of chances to give sadaqah today you can send kids to umrah and you can give this morocco earthquake emergency some money for the morocco earthquake uh situation uh if you're on instagram come on to youtube so if you're inside a youtube page and give the sadaqah okay does it say what the what the village name is? Click on the link. Uh, go back to the link there. See what the village name is. Let's see. All right. Join us in our heartfelt mission to support the earthquake in Tarudent. 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 Okay. Tarudent is where blankets, water, food, all this is going to go. Tarudent. And this, this um, let's see how much they raised. Uh, they so far raised a thousand pounds, and they want to raise two thousand, and it'll convert to you in dollars. So, so two chances to give sadaqah today, and and ta'awunu ala al-birri wa taqwa. All right, help each other and give. Uh, what gathering for sadaqah fundraising is part of our deen, so that people can give sadaqah. It's an important part of our religion. So um, let's see what we can cover in terms of launch good umrah. Go to the Umrah, see how the Umrah campaign is going. Just hit the reset on the thingy. All right, we're at 790 for Umrah, and we're at 1,110 pounds for Morocco, you you know, earthquake relief. All right, first a major storm came, and it collapsed the infrastructure. Now we're talking, we're, we're now over now in Libya, and it was exactly what happened at Hurricane Katrina, all right? 
Medical teams have flown out there, of course. Workers from Turkey, Emirates, are all arrived in Benghazi. All right. But the body bags is very sad. They just have body bags after body bags after body bags. It's extremely sad. And they don't even have places to bury them. So they're burying the people in mass graves. This, inshallah, all of these people, we can say they died a death of a shaheed. Okay. All right. Climate change may have increased the severity of the storm that destroyed the dams. Okay. A Mediterranean cyclone, which they called Daniel. All right. Though climate change is likely making Mediterranean cyclones less common, but when they do come, they're more intense. All right. Libya is was ill prepared for any climate change or flooding. Chances are when you live in the desert, you don't plan to be overtaken by water, right? Let's get some of those nice those pictures. Most Libyans live on the coast. And the risk of flooding or rising sea levels is there. Right. Towns along dry riverbeds can also flood if heavy rain comes down and raises the level of the, the, the rivers. And Matthew uh, Brubaker says that this is going to happen more as um, climates get warmer. Since Gaddafi's government fell in 2011, Libya has lacked a strong central government. Instead, two rival factions have struggled for control. Okay. As Cyclone Daniel approached, the authorities in eastern Libya seem to have no plan to monitor the dams, evacuate residents. Yep. Listen, if New Orleans didn't have a dam problem, I'm pretty sure that Libya is not going to be... Yeah, look at that picture. SubhanAllah, the floods. It's utter disaster. It's so sad, to be honest, to look at this stuff. You just wish you could bring people over and let them, you know, live in a, in a, in a, in a more put together country. Sad. Because you know that these, these things are the, the recovery of these places. Then once it's out of the news cycle, it's, it's out. All right. Now we move on to uh, Musiba number three for this week. SubhanAllah, what is going on? Magnitude 6.0 earthquake in Indonesia. But what is the silver lining, I guess you could say, is that suppose, apparently we're, we're going to read it right now. It was far from the cities and it was in a remote area. That's, we'll see if that's correct. 6.2 earthquake struck the remote, it says here, remote North Mal Maluku province on Monday says the German Geosciences Center. There was no report of heavy damage or death. Okay. They said it was a 5.9, then a 6.2. The epicenter was 6.8 miles. Residents of the quake, a member of the staff at a hotel town, uh, did not see any damage. So, luckily for them, while... It, it straddles the Pacific Ring of Fire in which 90 to 95% of all earthquakes happen in this ring. It's a huge area from Australia, bottom of Australia, up over to Indonesia, up past Russia to Japan, up to Alaska, down Canada, down California, down Mexico, all the way down to Peru. So it's like 
a horseshoe around the west, north, and east of the Pacific Ocean. That's where most of the um, earthquakes of the world happen. And the world is is round, but composed of these like flat plates. You can imagine, like a like a disco ball, a strobe light, like a disco ball. It's like round, but it's composed of little flat. So where they they move and hit each other, that's an earthquake. So good good news here is that apparently there are not a lot of deaths. Apparently, that's what they're saying. Okay. Less than, well, the, now the numbers are coming in to be around 300, 400. So that is significant, no doubt about it. But it could have been far worse if it was in the city, so luckily. Right. All right, that's it for news of the Ummah, affairs of the Ummah. Um, let's go do a quick check on Five Pillars UK. They usually have, you know, some stuff. If it's If it has to do with just individuals, we're not going to read it. Um, but ma- mainly today was a day for the coverage of the natural natu- uh, natural disasters. All right, here's another um, piece of news I forgot to read about this. Egypt bans niqab in school. The Egyptian government has banned female students from wearing niqab in schools. The education minister, Rida Higazi, released a statement on Monday. I love how they release a statement two days before school, right? Like forcing you to not be able to think like you're paralyzed. So you got to go to school tomorrow. Saying students have an optional right to choose if they will cover their hair at school. All right. Hijab is optional. But face is not optional. You cannot cover your face. Any form of hair covering that contravenes the condition of the face being visible is not acceptable. And hair covering should be the color chosen by the ministry and the local education directorate. So they're going to choose the color of the sister's hijab. Like a uniform. The decision will be enforced from the academic year that starts September 30th and will continue until the year ends June 8th. So they go to school for about maybe five, six weeks shorter school year than... um, than here in America, I guess maybe that's due to the heat. <clears throat> According to the ministerial statement, a student should make a decision to cover her hair based on her own personal desire without any pressure or force from any person or any other entity other than the parents. The statement said parents should be informed of their daughter's choice and added the author- that authorities will verify the guardian's knowledge of the student's choice over the issue. Hijab is widely worn by women in Egypt, but niqab is not so common. But it also is worn, but it's not so common. There have been fierce discussions in Egypt over wearing niqab in public spaces. Why is there a discussion? Is it in the Shari books or not? Then let people practice the Sharia if they want, if, that's, if they're Shawafa, if they're Hanabila, even Marikiya and Ahnaf have it, if there is fear of fitna. Okay? Not as awra, but as fear of fitna. Awra means the body that must be covered in public. And fitna means, you know, like tribulation, like trouble bad things happening as a result of um, like if a woman is, is going to be around men who have no morals and no scruples and no adab or akhlaq, right, then covering her face is an option. That was essentially what's in the Mal- Maliki books, not an option. It couldn't even be a farad. 
and not going to those going to those places can become forbidden if that's the case okay In 2015, Cairo University introduced a niqab ban for its staff. All right. And there were appeals, but they were overturned. It's unclear what, what the public opinion is, but those who oppose niqab portrayed as alien to Egyptian society. They're acting like the French here. They argue that it's Wahhabi. Go look at your grandmas. What are you talking about? All your great-grandmothers, most of them wore niqab in Egypt. Back in the day, it used to be the elites would cover their faces. Only the common folk would go with their faces uncovered. Servants and the poor and stuff. If you were a wealthy elite, nobody saw what you looked like. And you could see this in old movies where the princess comes out, the queen comes out, and you don't see her face. right? So it, culturally, things were different. Opponents to the niqab also argue that it creates a religious or social distance between those wearing it and others. Others invoke national security. Niqab hides identity. Okay. I think there's ways around that for a school because there are female staffers with whom the face can be revealed. So we can know that that's who so-and-so is. On the other hand, those in favor of the right to wear niqab say personal freedoms have special protection in the Constitution, giving the state... So many of these Egyptian secular types, they just despise the deen and anything that comes from it. So, But what is my personal position? If it's in the books of our religion, with evidence and with a basis, we support it, right? And it is in the Shafi and, and Hanbali, dominant opinion. Egypt's official Islamic religious institutions have attempted to sidestep the debate instead of deferring to state institutions. According to Sheikh Ahmed al-Tayyib, the, the Imam of Al-Azhar, the Niqab is neither a religious obligation nor a Sunnah. So he's given like a Maliki fatwa, I guess, or a Hanafi fatwa. I cannot tell her who wears the Niqab that she's doing a lawful action for which she deserves to be rewarded. It falls within the circle of the permissible. Mm. Your madhab is not the only madhab in Islam. Let me put it that way. This doesn't seem to be a fair statement. But you know that these, these muftis are, are always you know, handcuffed. They can never really speak what they truly believe. And they are, their philosophy is, let me just decrease the damage. By staying here, I can decrease the damage. So let me just pick my battles. That's the philosophy of those types of muftis who, uh, who are there uh, in these countries. Birmingham's Green Lane Masjid has been halted. $2.2 million mosque, Green Lane, Massive Muslim area, okay? But the news has uncovered that mosque imams expressing normative Islamic views referencing the protocols of the elders of Zion. Oh, so these are some old school brothers. <laughs> you guys know what the protocols of the elders of Zion is? It's an alleged booklet. Alleged. That uh, is the master plan of how the Jews plan to take over the world. They said, we're going to infiltrate the field of psychology. We're going to infiltrate the, the you know, economics. We're going to entertain the people. We're going to control the entertainment. We're going to control this, that we're going to support both sides until Europe destroys itself. All that. It's like an old school thing that people used to um, talk about this. And anytime that 
you know, it's anytime that something happens shady, that's very power, that is really shady, people say, oh, it's the Illuminati, right? Well, for a period of time, it was the protocols of the elders of Zion, right? And there are these like ancient publications in Russian, all right? Okay. And they say, of course, it's a fabricated text purporting to detail a Jewish plot for global domination. And it was popularized. It was first published in, the, in Imperial Russia in 1903, translated in multiple languages, disseminated internationally, and it played a key part in popularizing the belief in international Jewish conspiracy. Beginning in 1993, distillations of the work were assigned by some German teachers as if they were facts factual and read by German school children throughout Nazi Germany. Although the text had been exposed as fraudulent by the British newspaper, the times let's trace the money who's paying uh, who's for the times in 1921. Likewise, a uh, Frankfurter Zeitung in 1924. Um, it remains widely available in numerous languages. It's all over the internet. You can read it and continues to be presented by anti-Semitic groups as a genuine document. It has been described as probably the most influential work of anti-Semitism ever written. The Protocols of the Elders of Zion is a fabricated dom document purporting to be factual. Textual evidence shows that it could not have been produced prior to 1901. Document alludes to the assassination of William McKinley, for example, as though these events were plotted out in advance. The title... Uh, of Sergei Nilus, Nilus' widely distributed first edition contains the dates 1902-1903. It is likely that document was actually written at this time in Russia. Argue, uh, Cesar de, de Michelis, Michelis argues that it was manufactured in the months after a Russian Zionist Congress in September of 1902 and that it was originally a parody of Jewish idealism meant for internal circulation among anti-Semites until it was decided to clean it up and publish it as if it was real. Self-contradictions in various testimonies show that the individuals involved, including the text's initial publisher, Pavel Khrushchevin, deliberately obscured the origins of the text and lied about it in the decades afterwards. In the placement of the forgery, if the placement of the forgery in 1902 Russia is correct, then it was written as at the beginning of a series of anti-Jewish pogroms in the Russian Empire in which thousands of Jews were killed. Okay. So this is all about how it's a f a f uh, it's fraudulent but nothing about what's in it. How about what's in it? Okay. They have to. They have to. They just shut the website down if they say anything else. All right? Some say that the protocols follow the dialogue in hell between Machiavelli and Montes Montesquieu. They say that it's just copied. Okay. I remember the time in which uh, this people were crazy for this thing. Everyone was reading it and, and saying, see, it's happening, it's happening, it's happening. You got to admit, a lot of it happened, okay? They, taking over the banking industry, for example. Okay. 
it shows that Jews are always um, trying to control the money and they want to try to control the media. Okay. And all this stuff. So we're not going to go too far into it. If you're interested, you could read it again. But essentially, apparently an imam in Greens Lane referred to the protocols of the elders of Zion and believes in it, that this it's from the Jews. It says also he espoused misogynistic and homophobic and anti-Semitic views. The mosque says that a video clips about the, from the imam uh, were taken out of context. Uh, several videos filmed at the mosque and uploaded online includes a 2019 lecture by Abu Usama al-Dhahabi in which he says, don't teach my kids homosexuality, don't ki- teach my kids about lesbianism and other than that. It's mainstream. The heck is so controversial. We shut down every mosque in America if that's the case. He went on to say, now if Mike, John, and Bob, if they want to be homosexuals as a Muslim, I'm living here, I'm going to follow the law. I'm not going to do anything to them. But also, while living here, my religion is Islam. I don't condone and don't support that lifestyle. That's what, what do you think it says in any Catholic church? Moderate Muslims say this stuff. Uh, the NNS reported that Green Lane Masjid Imam Mustafa Abu Rayyan said of a wife, she needs to also fulfill her husband's physical desires. What, what, what are these people saying? What, what's wrong with that? Are we going to say that that's not right either? She should be obedient and respectful to him. He also said divorce is put in the hands of men because men are meant to be less emotional. You would shut down every mosque in the world if this is what they're talking about here. And in a video dated 2022, Abu Samad Dhabi refers to the protocols of the elders of Zion. He referred to them. That details a global conspiracy by Jewish people to control the world. The protocols have been condemned as a fabrication. Abu Usama said, you know the Zionists, the protocols of the Zionists, the protocols. In one of those protocols, they said, let's keep people busy with sports and games. Let's keep people distracted. And that's why all those people make all that money. Chief Executive Officer of the NSS Stephen Evans said his organization had urged the government to ensure that taxpayers' money is reserved for youth projects. Oh, it's it's the government's being involved. That's why they're... Uh, okay, I see, I see, I see, I see, I see. I see. Yeah, if the government's paying, they have the right to pay and not pay, right? We don't have a right over the government money. So the government was going to give money to the Greenslands. That's pretty suspicious, by the way. Part of the Youth Investment Fund, okay? Yeah, you got a liberal, pro-Zionist, pro-Komalut government. Why do you want their money in the first place? It's going to come with strings attached. The Youth Center was to provide 12 to 17-year-olds with modern facilities, like a gym, a kitchen, creative arts, digital tunnel, blah, blah, blah. All right? Programs on leadership, critical thinking. I don't want these people... uh, paying for for our leadership programs. In a statement, SIB, which is the government agency for this, said the mosque works with a range of local and regional bodies that have been supportive of their project. Green Lane Masjid has already received a pre-construction grant of 60K. 
according to a spokesperson for SIB, but none of them, none of the main 2.2 mil have been approved. Yes, hello. Salam alaikum. Mhm. No, don't. No, do not. All right, so there you have it. The mosque rejects violent extremism, blah, blah, blah. Peter Buckley. This guy is obsessed with commenting on five pillars. Like, what is going on with this guy? The Anna, Huh? Maybe. What's his business? What does he care? Okay. What is upset? What What is upsetting people? The concepts of... Uh, the concept of people that a woman, a wife, fulfills the desires of the husband, right? Like, what is, is it the or verbalization of it or is it the reality of it? Do you, is there any wife that does not want the husband to be happy and is there a vice versa, right? Like, what, why is that so, such a shock? It's just surprising that it's a, such a shock, Okay. And he says, no wonder women are leaving Islam. That's actually not the case. There's probably more people converting into Islam from of women than of men. Go go type in, you don't have to do it, Ali, but for women out there, go type in Muslim women convert Islam in YouTube. It's a world, I'm telling you. A world of female converts talking to each other, making videos about how they became Muslim, uh, videos follower videos next video down it's just non-stop non-stop okay uh youtube i'm not gonna say rabbit hole because it's something good non-stop so yeah so uh maybe peter buckley your wife you know maybe you didn't weren't afforded this great benefit and this blessing okay of a muslim wife who cares how her husband feels Maybe you weren't afforded that. So that's why he's so upset about it. You want us to be like maybe your situation where your wife ignores you, right? And doesn't care how you feel? Yeah. Um, I don't think anyone would be taking any Western people's advice on how to live in terms of family. Yeah, maybe how to be on time to work. Yeah, probably that. But we'll take your advice on that. But that's going to be it. We're not taking your advice on anything related to life and family. A uh, quick Q and A. Quick Q and A. What happens? Lily Rose says when a woman is tired, he's got to have common sense because marriage is not established on. It's based on some rules and laws, and agreements. It's an agreement, but it's the application of a marriage is based on generosity and forgiveness. See, that's, the, that's where common sense comes in. The, the contract between the two parties is an agreement. It's a, there are, I'm giving this, you're giving this. That's, the, that's what the contract is. 
but the application of the contract is based upon generosity and forgiveness. This is what we call aqt mabni ala al-mukarama, a contract that is built upon generosity, as opposed to a business contract, aqt mabni ala al-shuh, which is if I do a contract with you to for 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 a service for example, I expect everything that I put in the contract and you expect every dollar that I promised you. There is no shame in you, let's say. I asked you to do something for me, paint the wall. And you painted the wall. And I said, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the money. And I pay you. And I, I'm short on the payment, 15 bucks. Now, 15 bucks is not a make it or break it. But you should have no shame in texting back, hey, 15 bucks short. And I should have no comment other than my fault. I shouldn't say, are you serious? You're you're coming after me for 15 bucks. I will roll my eyes. None of that. No. This is a deal. And I'm telling you, we don't understand. Bible has to be studied hard. Let me just tell you one thing. There's ijara and qirad. Qirad means I give you a bunch of money. I say, you go trade with that money. You should have full freedom to go trade. I may put some some parameters for a reason. Stay in this country because we're not legally allowed to do business in another country. Right? But now I can't tell you what to do now. I can't say, hey, wake up. Go to work. I can't I can't do that. You are free to trade as you want, wish. That's called Qirad's contract. Ijara is different. Ijara means I hire you for a job. And we agree on a certain amount of money. So... Everything in Islam has lanes. Marriage also has lanes. There are obligations of what a husband has to do and what a woman has to do in a marriage. But the application of it is through, is with generosity and forgiveness. That's the balance of our religion. Okay? Why do you think many people have problems with a wife obeying her husband? I honestly think there are some people out there who have bad marriages, okay? And they may come up with, you know, seems like if they can't have it, right? If their wife doesn't tolerate it, they don't want anyone else to tolerate it. Or it's become an aqidah in their, right, in their family, that they don't do this. It's become like a belief. And if anyone mentions it, you know, someone in the household is going to fly off the handle, so it becomes like a toxic emotional thing. But the assumption here is that a husband will be kind to his wife, right? That's the assumption. I'm going to take a two-second break, then we come back for the du'a.
Alright, so like, while we wait for Dakshay to come back, I'm gonna uh, leave the links on the YouTube uh, for the donations for the PayPal and the Youth for Umrah. Inshallah, we can raise those goals. That link right there is for the youth for Umrah, inshallah, uh, we can get that up, alhamdulillah. While we wait for Dakshad to come back, I'm just going to throw up the RQ on the stream. That's for RQ, RQ Basic, the Kids RQ, and the Advanced RQ.
Also, go follow the Arcview, um, not Arcview, uh, La Casina 367 on Instagram. We're going to get those numbers up, inshallah. We have a soup kitchen every Wednesday from 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock. And we do community barbecues and everything like that, too. So, most of the updates and videos and all the pictures and stuff go on that Instagram. So, inshallah, please do follow that. Is there a summarizes a book that summarizes how the message of Islam evolved from its first revelation? Um, what he would be talking about, or such a book, would be how the Muslims answered new questions, new challenges. There's no evolution and alteration. There's no alteration of the core doctrines the Prophet brought. But there is new challenges. Result of these new challenges, different responses. That we can that is discussed. Also, fiqh, that is development. So I would say there could be development of the same ideas, um, not alteration, not a, not an evolution that leads to an alteration of the essence. I have a question on aqidah. When you leave religion, you lose all your good deeds you've done. But you take them back if you return. Maturidi says you lose them forever. So if someone believes Maturidi creed, does it mean he says goodbye to all your good deeds if he apostates? Allahu Adam, what is the truth to that? And inshallah, the person gets them back. Allah, Allah knows best, but... Sophia says, how many hours will be needed to cover this fiqh of trade? Ooh. Arcview Plus could do Babel Buyuar in, I would say, when we put it on Babel Buyuar on Arcview Plus, I would actually want it to be done for a year. For one year. There's a lot there, and I'd want it to go slowly. 
Ronnie Rosie says, um, what is Ronnie Rosie saying? Maybe she's talking to somebody else, but it's different things here. Have you about the Adam Sheikh in Jakarta who does commanding right forbidding wrong in the city's nightclubs? No, I didn't hear about that. It's interesting. Talk about aliens in Mexico. All right. Let's, we can't help but look that up. It's so fantastically crazy. Almana for you threw up to $1,000. All right. 25, one out of 20%, 25 there. Okay, we need to do this. We want to send a lot of kids to Umrah. Okay. Okay, let's go to Aliens in El Mexique. They got good taste in food, I guess. Sunny. Colorful. Researcher shows bodies of purported non-human beings. This is CBS News. Alien corpse. Does not look like a human to me. <laughs> Definitely does not look like a human to be. Everyone's covering this. Thousand-year-old fossils of alien corpse. This may be al-hinni wal-bin. Remember a couple, couple times ago? A couple of weeks ago, we talked about al-hinni wal-bin. Non-human, upright creatures that purportedly lived on the earth a long time ago. And it's a passing in mention, mention in passing in Ibn Kathir. He said, before the jinn came to the earth, there was al-hinni wal-bin. Is it actually a corpse? Is it? I mean, it's tiny, by the way. It's like the size of your hand. Yeah, apparently they carbon dated it. Yeah. So, really interesting. But, I mean, it's nothing to do with Islam. There's nothing in there that undermines anything in Islam. If, in fact, our concept of al-hinni wal-bin, you know, I don't know why they're calling it alien. You know, why are they calling it Alien. Fascinating. Thank you for whoever uh, it was who told us this. Okay, Abdurrahman, if you want to help this uh, gr- this this little village in Morocco, it's a local fundraiser. You can. The PayPal thing is there, and and and, and Adi will put it up again in a second. But a Mexican ufologist claims to show two alien corpses to Congress. Well, I don't think Congress cares about what happened a thousand years ago, right? What happens now is what matters. You know, Mexico's Congress heard testimony from experts who study extraterrestrials on Tuesday. Okay. Jamie Masson, a self-described ufologist, brought two caskets into congressional chambers. This, how do we know that this isn't like fake? Well, well, we know that a bone is not going to last a thousand years. So, what is this? Yeah, what? Yeah, what is this? You know, like what is the material of what he's found? Yeah. 
Really? No way. He says they are complete bodies that have not been manipulated. Who is this masoon that we are that is that found them? Right. But he fi- he he lied in the past. That's the problem with this guy. He does not have exactly a great track record. Now there are X-rays showing their uh, bones. Apparently, I mean that just means that it consists of. Mat- let's let's take a per- perspective that this is all a fraud, hypothetically, and see if that perspective is valid. Because if it is, he has a problem. Okay. Put it up. Put the x-ray of that picture up. He said they had big brains, big eyes, wide scope of vision, but they had no teeth. They likely only drank and did not chew. I'm telling you, if you didn't attend this uh, stream for that and you don't know what we're talking about, the concept of al-hinni wal-bin is that Ibn Kathir just in passing says before there were jinn on earth, there was al-hinni wal-bin. What others have said and theorized about Hanyu bin is that they are upright creatures that are that are upright, but they're not humans. They're animal. They have an animal feature to them, like what we would call an animalistic feature to them. So, a, like a lizard with a human, a, a wolf with a human, okay, a polar bear, but it walks upright. So it's like a mix between animals and humans, okay. And that they roam the earth, but they're they are from the visible world. Alam al Shahada. The jinn are in Alam al Ghaib. What does Alam al Ghaib mean? The unseen to us. What is Alam al Shahada? The seen. Okay. And that some even even theorize even further with very little serious evidence. No evidence that anyone would take seriously. Okay. And uh that the remnants of these Hindi Walbin are still around. And that's like when, the, that's how they, they categorize claims that people saw a werewolf or a Bigfoot or this, right? Hindi Walbin. All right, Ryan Graves is the executive director for Americans for Safe Aerospace Organization, a former Navy fighter. And he was one of three who testified of the existence of UFOs. We are not alone. Yeah, we're with a bunch of bones from a thousand years ago, right? So al-hinni wal-bin is, again, what we're going to go to. But but what is the, the can, can they, can he submit this to actual scientists? Because why would just these two be there? If Where did you find them? What's the backstory behind this? It looks like anyone could have carved this thing up, right? I don't know what they would use, lime or something. I don't know what they would use, but two small mummified specimens. I'm actually open to the possibility of al-Hanyawalbin being creations that Allah made here that are neither, they're like very smart animals, but they're not fully rational beings. They're not fully rational beings. And they are upright. So there's a little bit of a human feature to them and a little bit of an animalistic feature to them. I'm open to the possibility that something like that could exist, right? And it actually explains a lot 
of the myths in the worlds, the myths that people swear that they saw such a creature, right? So, boom, Henry would have been case closed. What does Omar say? Omar, hey. Can we eat them? We see an animal walking around like that? If it's not rational, huh? If it's not rational, it's an animal in our categorization. Right? We're slaughtering and eating from it. Oh, Fleur says something else. A thousand years ago, that's not that long ago, right? If we're talking about like human history, a thousand years ago, it's not that long at all. Many, uh, if someone wants to message, email, best thing. If aliens are hayawan naltik, do we need a new definition for insan? So I would, yeah, that's true. But so supposedly al-hinni wal-bin were non-rational. They were non-rational. But they were upright. And they had the physical attributes of a human and the physical attributes of an animal. Very interesting stuff. But no, no, um, no real evidence that anybody would would respect. No respectable evidence, I would say. Okay. No, aliens. Firstly, what are aliens? Okay. You know what are aliens? We need to see something, and then we can categorize it. First of all, we can't even accept that this is true. We can't accept that it's true, right? That this ufologist obsessed with the UFO, right, are, uh, is the one who discovered it, and he's discovered two, and it's in his possession, etc. Yeah. What is that, tinfoil hat? What's that? No. Are Hinna been pre hominids? Yeah, basically. Basically. What is that? Oh, these people are crazy. You know, people who are crazy are people who do not know how to, to, to establish evidence, right? And they'll take hearsay and make it and act as if it's an absolute fact. That's basically what it is. What 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 the conspiracy theorist is and what um Cap Milsum, how do you answer people who say Sufis worship Allah based on emotions and not evidence? Uh, nonsense because Tasawwuf has nothing to do with the not studying. If you take Tasawwuf from Ahmad Zarruq, you must study Aqidah first and know Allah directly. Okay, with evidence, and then you worship him with your heart and your and love. What is Ashari Maturiti? They're schools of Islamic doctrine regarding questions that came up after the time of the Prophet and how to answer them properly. That's what they are. And the uh, the Hanafi Madhab follows the Maturidi school of doctrine, and the Madikis and Shafis follow the Ashari school of doctrine. Essentially. 
I heard polygyny is not a sunnah. No, the Prophet married multiple women. Many, many of the Sahaba, if not all of them. No, not all of them, but many of them also married multiple women. And you get rewarded for taking care of all these people and having more kids and taking care of them. The rewards for that. So, in the first half of his life, the Prophet ﷺ had Khadija only. Right? After that, he had many. So, he sets both examples. Uh, very interested. Why are Americans so obsessed with aliens? Uh, one of those weird things. I think, I wonder what the nations around the world think of us. I think we're obsessed with aliens, right? Can someone believe in one thing from Matsudidi and another from Ashari? I don't think there's going to be any punishment in that at all. Not at all, I don't think. Okay. All right, let us... Uh, Talib Razi says, I heard in the Shafi method, marrying one, only one is mustahab. Allahu I don't know about that. We got to stop here, folks. Jazakumullah khair. Let's go to our, our, our widit for Wednesday, inshallah ta'ala. Make a good, strong dua afterwards because Wednesday is a day in which the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said that, or, uh, uh, or the Prophet sallallahu did in fact make dua on a Monday between Dhuhr and Asr, Tuesday between Dhuhr and Asr, Wednesday between Dhuhr and Asr. But on Wednesday between Dhuhr and Asr, he received his answer. So the Sahabi who witnessed this was Jabir ibn Abdullah, and he said that I knew from that point on that Allah would make this time special. If he answered the Prophet once in this time, right, he would answer other people at this time. So he said, any time that I had an issue and an affair and an, and, a, and, a, and a crisis, then I would pray, make du'a on Wednesday between Dhuhr and Asr, and then. Um, Make dua on Wednesday between Dhuhr and Asr, and as a result, and he said, I would always get good news of an of an answer. It doesn't mean your dua will happen right away, but you will get the glad tidings, a sign from Allah Taala that it will be answered in the Taala. So we should have hope in that, and we should have uh, optimism with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, and we should make tawbah because Allah loves the the people who make tawbah. Uh, you know, disobey your Lord and then ask Him something the next day. So make tawbah in between. لا إله إلا الله الملك العقوم بين 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 بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن فتحنا لك فتح مبين يغفر لك الله ما تقدم من ذنبك وما تأخر ويتمنى ما تواليك وينديك صراطا مستقيما وينصرك الله نصرا نزيزا وكان عند الله وجهه وجهه في الدنيا والآخرة والمقربين وجهت وجهي للذي فطر السماوات والأرض بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نصر من الله وفاته قريب وبشر المؤمنين يا أيها الذين أمنوا كونوا أنصار الله كما قال يس بن مريم الحواريين من أنصار الله قال الحواريون نحن أنصار الله الله لا إله إلا هو الحي القيم لا تأخذوا سنة منانهم لا ما في السماوات وما في الأرض من ذا الذي يشفع عنده إلا بإذنه يعلم ما بين أيديهم وما خلفهم ولا يهتون بشيء من علمه إلا بما شاء وسع كرسيه السماوات والأرض ولا يؤجفتهما وهو العلي العظيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لو أنزلنا هذا القرآن على جبل لرأيته خاشع متصدع من خشية الله 
وتلك الأمثال نضربها للناس لا لم يتفكرون هو الله الذي لا إله إلا هو عالم الغيب والشهادة هو الرحمن الرحيم هو الله الذي لا إله إلا هو الملك القدوس السلام المؤمن المهمن العزيز الجبار المتكبر سبحان الله عما يشركون هو الله الخالق البارئ المصور له الأسماء الحسنى يسبح له ما في السماوات والأرض وهو العزيز الحكيم أعيد نفسي بالله تعالى من كل ما يسمع بأذنين وأبصر بعينين وأمشي بالجلين وبطش بيدين وتكلم بشفتين أصنت نفسي بالله الخالق الأكبر مشعل ما أخاف وأحذر من الجنب والأنس ويحضرون عز جاره وجل ثناؤه وتقدست أسماؤه لا أنا غير الله من جعلك في نهوري أعدائي وأعذ بك من شرورهم وتحيونهم ومكر مكايدهم أطفئ نار من أراد ويادا وتمن الجنة ونسى حفظ عفي ذيك في محيط سبحانك يا رب ما أعظم شأنك وسبطانك تسنت بالله بسم الله بيات الله ملكت لهم بيا الله ورسول الله والصالحين من بعد الله سنت نفسي بلا إله إلا الله محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم احرسني بعينك التي لا تنام اكنفني بكنفك الذي لا يرى من حمد بقدرتك علي فلا اهلك وانت ثقتي ورجائي يا غياث المستغيثين يا غياث المستغيثين يا غياث المستغيثين يا تارك الهالكين يا تارك الهالكين يا تارك الهالكين اكفني شر كل طارق يطرق بليلنا ونهارنا طارق يطرق بخيرنا كل شيء قدير بسم الله ارقي نفسي من كل ما يؤذي ومن كل حاسد الله شفائي بسم الله رقيت اللهم رب الناس اذهب الباس اشفي انت الشافي وعافي انت المعافي لا شفاء الا شفاؤك شفاء لا يغادر سقما ولا الما يا كافي يا وافي يا حميد يا مجيد ارفعني كل تعب شديد وكفني من الحد والحديد والمرض الشديد والجيش العديد واجعل لي نورا من نورك وعزم من عزك ونصر من نصرك وبهاء من بهائك وعطاء من عطائك وحراسة من حراستك وتأيد من تأيدك هذا الجلال والكرام والمواهب العظام سألك أن تكفيني من شرك وليدي شر إنك أنت الله الخالق الأكبر وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون سلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين شاء stop for a few minutes of dua الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين